Welcome to Reimagining Atlantis. My name's Tori, and I'll be your host. How are you, my friends? Has life been treating you well? It seems that Lady Fortune has finally shined her light on me. Sometimes, it feels like when you're so used to unfortunate circumstances that when you aren't spending your time misdodging misgivings, it feels like you're still on guard to an unseen enemy. I have to train myself to enjoy it and not lose the good times to prepare for my worst. With this heat wave scorching Europe, I worry that the beautiful buildings will melt. Remember to stay cool with cold washcloths, take cold baths, and light clothes. I also saw a YouTube video where a guy wet down some towels and put it on a drying rack. He had a box fan on one end and it cooled down the temperature dramatically. The air on the other side was coming out at 60 degrees. Might be something to think about to help keep your place cool. Also, take this time to recognize and see the signs of heat stroke. It might not save you, but it could save the person you're with. I was originally born and raised in Florida before I moved to the Pacific Northwest on the opposite end of the continent. I have seen my fair share of heat stroke and saved my fair share of people with heat stroke. Remember, if you experience nausea or headaches, get your butt cold. It's only the beginning. There's so much bad news going on in the world right now that I feel like we're on the brink of another Bronze Age collapse. History, it seems, has a habit of repeating itself. At which generation will we finally learn? As a computer scientist, I can foresee where the technology can take us. I'm just not sure if technology will evolve fast enough. This episode, I thought I would break down the different theories with Plato's 9,000 years ago statement. I'll be reading to you some very well put together thoughts on the subject from Atlantopedia.ie. They have their own sources cited, and I don't believe in reinventing the wheel. So go to Atlantopedia and take a look for yourself. I'm sure whoever put these statements together were far smarter and more knowledgeable than me. Dating Atlantis is one of the most difficult endeavors experts have pursued. The critical problem is to identify the time of the Atlantean War and that of later destruction of Atlantis itself two events, possibly separated by a period, not recorded by Plato. We don't really know how long between the fight and Atlantis's destruction. He did say afterwards, in a day and night of misfortune, all of your warlike men were swallowed by the earth. But not necessarily how long it had been since the Atlantean-Egyptian-Athenian War but we can assume that it's probably within a few years. This entry is primarily concerned with the dating of the war. So, however, it should be pointed out that Plato also reveals that Atlantis' story has a very long history before the war, back to a time when ships and sailing did not yet exist. So it is understandable when Plato fills the historical gap with mythological characters, namely those five sets of twins, sired by Poseidon and Clado. Of course, Poseidon being a sea god did not require a boat to get to the island of Atlantis. 
Plato also informs us that the twins and their descendants lived on the island for many generations and extended their rule over many other islands in the sea. I'm not excluding the fact that possibly 9,000 years ago there could have been a people that settled within that area, but for this, we're concentrating on when the war happened. I've linked my source to Atlantopedia in my episode description. There are roughly three schools of thought regarding this important detail of 9,000 years ago. The first group persists in accepting the face value of Plato's reference to the period of 9,000 solar years have elapsed since the time of the war with Atlantis up until the time of Solon's visit around 550 BCE. The second group are convinced that the 9,000 refers to periods other than solar years such as lunar cycles or seasons. The third group seeks to identify the time of Atlantis by linking it to other known historical events. Sir Henry Desmond was a translator of the Timaeus and Cretius, and he taught for many years at Cambridge. Desmond, who clearly did not believe in Atlantis, described Plato's story as the earliest work of science fiction. He had great difficulty with Or Calcum which he considered to be completely imaginary metal, and was one of the opinion that Plato erroneously added a zero to the original dates given to Solon. Desmond has commented that the Greeks, both philosophers and others, seem to have been curiously lacking in their sense of time dimension. Now I've reached out to Dr. Joseph Hughes, who was a professor and a doctor in ancient Greek and mythology. And he would tell me the ancients really didn't care that much about making exact time frames. The view that 9550 BCE was the day of the Atlantean Egyptian Athenian War has slowly dwindling number of supporters among serious investigators. Massimo Rapsardia is one such promoter, who has offered his reasons for accepting this early date and the same sentiment has been echoed by Ice Age Atlantis supporters. To support this early date, proponents usually cite a wide range of evidence to suggest the existence of advanced cultures in the 10th millennium BCE. Matters such as an earlier than conventionally accepted date for the Sphinx, early proto-alphabets, or the apparently anomalous structures such as Lyx's foundations or the controversial Baalbek megalith have all been recruited to support an early date for Atlantis. Many, if not all, have had their dates hotly disputed. Apart from the contentious dates, there is nothing to definitively link any of them with Plato's Atlantis. And as I've said in previous podcasts, the proponents of Ice Age Atlantis believe that Egypt was a colony that was formed after the fall of Atlantis. But I ask you, how did Atlantis go to war with Egypt if they hadn't yet fallen? In common with most nations, the Egyptians competitively promoted the great antiquity of their own origins. 
Herodotus reported that while in Egypt, he was told of a succession of kings extending over 17,000 years. The priests of Memphis told him firmly that 341 kings and a similar number of high priests had, until then, ruled their country. Even an average reign of 20 years would give a total of nearly 7,000 years, whereas more improbable 26-year average would be required to span the necessary 9,000 years. It is therefore obvious that the 17,000 years related to Herodotus is not credible, raising a question regarding the trustworthiness of 9,000 years to Solon. In another one of Plato's works, called The Laws, Plato refers to Egyptian art going back 10,000 years, seemingly indicating consistency in his belief in the great antiquity of civilization and fully compatible with his date for Atlantis. However, it has been discovered that in Plato's time, 10,000 was frequently used simply to express a large but indefinite number. Kind of like saying, I have a million things to do. It doesn't mean literally, I have one million things on my checklist. It just means that I have overabundance. In an article from 2021, Thorwald Frank offered the following opinion. Many scientists seem to live quite comfortably with Graham Hancock and similar authors speculating about 10,000 BCE, because these hypotheses are so nonsensical that they do not interfere with real science. Sometimes, you have the impression that many scientists even prefer such misleading popular errors over more informed hypotheses because they would make the audience ask more serious questions, and then the questions could be dismissed so easily. But this is only an impression. In truth, scientists shy away from the effort to overcome these popular errors. It is much easier to stay silent and ignore them. Alexandros Angelis wrote that he is always suspicious of coincidence. Whenever I hear this word, an alarm sets off in my head, or in my book, Our Unknown Ancient Past, Thoughts and Reflections on the Unexplained Mysteries of Prehistory, I state that it cannot be a coincidence that Plato's date of Atlantis destruction, 9600 BCE, is spot on, coinciding with the abrupt end of the Younger Dryas. Angelus considers the rapid, gradual melting of the ice at the end of the Younger Dryas as the cause of the Atlantis emergence, which might have been true except for, except for that Plato tells us that the catastrophe took place over a single day and night and that the event was triggered by an earthquake. He seems unaware that isostatic rebound is very slow process of readjustment involving centuries and sometimes thousands of years. And even when glaciers melt rapidly, sea levels, because of their vastness, rise slowly. Did Plato derive the legend of Atlantis from an Egyptian source? It may be replied that there is no such legend in any writer previous to Plato. Neither in Homer, nor in Pandar, nor in Herodotus is there any mention of an island of Atlantis, nor any reference to it in Aristotle, nor in any citation of an earlier writer by a later one in which it is to be found, nor have any traces been discovered hitherto 
an Egyptian monument of connection between Greece and Egypt older than the 8th or 9th century BCE. That's a quote from Benjamin Jollett. Advocates of the 9,000 years ago refers to units of time rather than solar years theory, understand that Atlantis described in such detail by Plato belongs to the Bronze Age and should not have existed at an earlier date. Think about when trying to explain to somebody a thousand years ago that there were automobiles that ran on gasoline, airplanes that flew in the sky, computers at our desk, and computers in our hand that we walk around with, and it also makes phone calls? All of these modern ideas would not plant this story a thousand years in the past. We would have to look at it for what is being told. It is worth noting that technology is coincidental with the most advanced known to Plato and his audience at the time of his writing, such as the triremes. For those who argue that mankind has been destroyed on one or more occasions and has had to restart again from scratch, it's not credible that if this was the case that the culture and technology described by Plato existing in 9500 BCE is precisely what he himself would have experienced. There is nothing in the Atlantis text to connect it with a pre-Bronze Age society. Nor is there anything to suggest any technology or cultural advance beyond that of the 4th century BCE. Plato's tale tells of the existence of at least three major nations before the destruction of Atlantis, Egypt, Athens, and Atlantis itself. There is no archaeological evidence to indicate anything other than Neolithic cultures existing in Egypt or Athens around 9500 BCE. The current accepted date for the beginning of the Egyptian civilization is circa 3100 BCE, and also, for the existence of primitive culture around Athens at or about the same time. This would parallel the time of the Western European megalithic builders. It is worth noting that researchers who support the 9600 BCE date for the war between Atlantis and Athens cannot explain how this took place a millennia before there were any such structured societies in Greece or in Egypt. It may be worth noting, the comments of Israel Finkelstein and Neil Silberman, who have argued for a 7th century BCE date for the final draft of the narrative, rather than during the 2nd millennium BCE as suggested by the text. In much of the same way that European illuminated manuscripts of the Middle Ages depicted Jerusalem as a European city with turrets and battlements to heighten its direct impact on contemporary readers. Similarly, it is possible that Plato added architectural and technological details of his day to a more ancient tale of a lost civilization to make a more powerful impression on his audience. Diaz Montexano claims that the 9,000 years in Cretius has been mistranslated. He refers to the earliest versions of Cretius that are available and insists that the texts permit a translation of either nine times in a thousand years or 1009, the first being more rational. Frank Joseph has also used this 1009 number, quoting private correspondence from Kenneth Caroli in his 2015 regurgitation of Atlantis, 
And in 2012, Diaz Montexano has also drawn attention to the commentary on Timaeus by Proclius, writing in the 5th century CE, where he treats Plato's use of 9000 as having a symbolic rather than literal meaning. It should be kept in mind that many cultures, ancient and modern, use specific numbers to indicate indefinite values. Like, give me a minute. I'll be there in a few. Others have produced evidence to suggest that this period in Earth's history saw one or more catastrophic events that may or may not have been interconnected, such as a collision or near-miss with an extraterrestrial body, a pole shift, or the melting of the glaciers of the last ice age, and the consequent raising of the sea levels worldwide. Seeing how we're seeing the rise of our oceans, we can definitively say that it takes longer than a single day and night of misfortune to sink a city with just glacier melting. In June 2017, a forum on the com website included the following possible explanation for the Atlantean dates. The date 8000 is given as a fraction of 8 since the Greeks commonly used fractational notation. Plato wrote in 400 BCE and Solon obtained the account in 570 BCE. No Egyptian annals went back 9000 or even 8000 years. The furthest back the Egyptian annals went at the time of Herodotus was to 3050 BCE, the reign of Menes, the first pharaoh who Herodotus knew about. Therefore, it is obvious that the number of years has been given as a fraction which is extremely common in Greek numerology. Thus, the war between Atlantis and Athens occurred in 9000 divided by 8 plus 570 equals 16,950 BCE plus or minus 63 years, which is pretty close to the date of the war between the Titans and the gods, which would be around 1685 BCE to 1675 BCE. The entire story of Atlantis runs concurrent to the time of the Thera eruption. You even have 10 kings ruling the land equivalent to the 12 titans. The Bible too denotes years as fractions, or seasons, equinoxes, solstice, etc. That's why you have biblical patriarchs that live 800 and 900 years old. The ages to Noah are all counted in lunar months. To address these apparent conflicts, some have suggested that the stated 9,000 years, which was allegedly lapsed since the catastrophe, are the result of an incorrect transcription by someone along what is a very long chain of transmission and that hundreds have somehow been confused with thousands and that the correct figure should be 900 years. Another suggestion is that the Egyptian hieroglyphs used for 100 and 1,000 are easily confused. This explanation does not hold water as there is little room for confusion between these two hieroglyphs. Let me begin by observing, first of all, that 9,000 was the sum of years which had elapsed since the war, which is said to have taken place between those who dwelt outside the pillars of Heracles and all those who dwelt within them. This war I am going to describe. Of the combatants on one side, the city of Athens was reported to have been the leader and to have fought out the war. The combatants on the other side were commanded by the kings of Atlantis. This is, of course, Plato and Crescius. 
Athena founded your city a thousand years before ours, receiving from the earth and Hephaestus the seed of your race, and afterwards she founded ours, of which the constitution is recorded in our sacred registers to be eight thousand years old. As touching your citizens of nine thousand years ago, I will briefly inform you of their laws and of their most famous action, and that was Plato in Timaeus. And continue on in Timaeus, many great deluges have taken place during the nine thousand years, for that is the number of years which have elapsed since the time of which I'm speaking. Now you have to understand that during Plato's time, Pythagoras of the Pythagorean theorem had already made his impact. And so, so here's Pythagoras in explaining, ten is the very nature of number. All Greeks and all barbarians alike count up to ten, and having reached ten, revert again to the unity. And again, Pythagoras maintains, the power of the number ten lies in the number four, the tetradad. This is the reason, if one starts at the unit one and adds the successive number up to four, one will make up the number ten. One plus two plus three plus four equals ten. And if one exceeds the tetrad, one will exceed ten too. So that the number by the unit resides in the number of ten, but potentially in the number four. And also, so Pythagoreans used to invoke the tetrad as their most binding oath. By him that gave to our generation the tetractes, which contains the fount and root of internal nature. Now I've made it clear from the beginning that I am Team Bronze Age Atlantis, with all of the evidence provided from the texts. It's clear that Plato is talking about a more modern city with war chariots and boats. The ancients—they were no real different from us. I could see them easily. Being lazy and rounding up a number to nine thousand, a lot like in Homer, the face that launched a thousand ships, but it was more accurately one thousand one hundred and eighty-six ships. Thank you so much for continuing to listen. Your support means everything to me. If you want to help make this podcast grow, please subscribe and tell just one other person about this podcast today. We are each our own hero in this story we call life. That means one person has the power to change everything. Who is the one person you tell today, hero? Let's help keep Atlantis alive, or at least reimagined. A new episode will be released every Thursday at 9 p.m. See you then. Wait, are you still here? Thank you. It's appreciated. Here's a clip for next week's episode. Then one day, Zeus played a practical joke on Hephaestus and told him that Athena was finally ready to lose her virginity and wanted to lose it with him. When Athena finally came to visit Hephaestus, he made his moves. He made his advancements on the goddess of wisdom and war. She obviously rejected his advancements, so Hephaestus tried to pursue her by force. After some struggle, Hephaestus prematurely ejaculated, and his seed landed on Athena's thigh. Athena 
picked up a rag made of wool and wiped it off of her leg and threw the rag down to earth. Now remember, the earth is actually a goddess. And when Hephaestus seed landed, it managed to impregnate Gaia, who bore a son, 